Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In this Truth and Movies... Tell me his name again. Thanos. We're stark raving over Avengers Infinity War. The Marvel Universe's biggest movie yet. Beast. Lots of Jersey. Very little mercy in this tale of a girl and an island in the grip of a serial killer. To my family, I forgive you. And Film Club. It's another banner performance in Ang Lee's Hulk. I don't think you're going to like me when I'm angry. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. And joining us today on Truth and Movies, we have Carl Anker. Welcome, True Believers. We should really be hosting, actually, with that name. <laughs> uh, and also, Hannah Woodhead. How are you, Hannah? I'm good, thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Excelsior to you, Carl, by the way. I like the uh, little nod to the... You're a comic book reader, are you? I started reading comic books before I started reading books. I so see. as a child, I couldn't read books and then someone gave me a comic book and I realised how my head was supposed to move across a page. Right. And then I learned how to read... Interesting. Actual books. Okay. And what were your favourites? I think everyone's entry-level superhero is Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Now I'm really into just slightly surreal, off-the-wall or incredibly boring slice-of-life comic books. Um, something I've adored in the last two or three years is the Vision mm-hmm. uh, comic book, which is just... One day Vision decides he's going to purge himself of all feelings and then try and do a desk job in Washington, D.C. Oh. with his robot family, and then everything goes wrong. Interesting. Go read that immediately. It's haunting. Okay. Now, Hannah, I'm talking about all of this because I kind of want to avoid saying anything about this movie that we're supposed to be reviewing, Avengers Infinity War. It comes out in the U.K. Friday? Well, it comes out... We, we're recording this on a Wednesday uh-huh. and it comes out tonight at midnight, technically. Oh, yes. So a lot of people, by the time they hear our voices, they will maybe have already seen the film, right. which is good for them because yeah. I know spoilers, there's been a whole whole thing. You know, Marvel have done a whole marketing campaign around hashtag Thanos demands your silence, which I think is very self-indulgent. You can just tell people not to spoil it. You don't need to make a whole marketing campaign about it. Right. There's a little um, emoji and everything. There's a little emoji. But yeah, a lot of people are muting this on social media, avoiding social media, because they don't want to hear any spoilers. So we've got to kind of work hard to... We've got to work hard, because it's a surprising movie. It is. I'm going to try my best here. So I will talk about everything you can see in the first two trailers. So I'll supplement this with a little bit of what we know from comic books involving some of these characters. Mm -hmm. Some of it is in the film and some of it is not. And then I'll just talk about 
how it made me feel. Okay. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Just like that. Tell me his name again. Thanos. Okay, so this is the 19th film uh, from Marvel Studios. The first one, Iron Man, for me was one of the best. But I've got to say, I'd have this one up there in my top three. I, I was really impressed with it. When, when, when they get it right, they really do. But to put that in perspective, the last one, Age of Ultron, I thought was one of the worst oh, yeah. films I've, I've seen in a long time. The interesting thing about Marvel films is it's, they're getting increasingly hard to review and talk about in discrete terms. So Age of Ultron comes out in 2015, and it was a really difficult film to watch because they were very clearly keeping things on the back burner for when Captain America 3 Civil War would happen. Right. So there's a lot of plot points that they set up in Age of Ultron that don't get paid off in Age of Ultron because that will be sorted out in the next film. Mm. So there's the little bit in Age of Ultron where Ultron needs vibranium, so they go to Wakanda oh, yeah. and they meet Claw, and then Claw doesn't pop up again until Black Panther. So that's three years of payoff for right. you to see Wakanda. And Infinity War is the complete opposite of that. Infinity War is so great because it's just payoff. Right. This, this is 10 years, 19 films worth of payoff. This is 10 years of you going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if that character and that character are in the same room one day? And then they are. Right. And then your brain is just crying. <laughs> Did your brain cry, Hannah? My brain cried and my face cried. Uh, there's a lot of moments that really got me. When Iron Man came out, I was 14, 15. So I was a little, you know, I kind of came to this late. I'd had sort of Spider-Man and things. I was a big fan of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. But it's seen me through adolescence up until adulthood. And there is, I think this is payoff for people that enjoy these movies. Mm. I don't know if it'll convert any cynics, but I think for people that are fans... I, I, I know, James, you were saying that you... Last yeah. week I said, oh, I don't like superhero movies, and uh, I realised. But this completely blew me away. And, I, you know, advance on my scores, I would say a two anticipation going into this. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because it's two and a half hours long, and I know that usually within about 45 minutes I'm going, hey-ho, uh, and there's, there'll be some funny lines and that. But, for example, the Thor Ragnarok film that people loved, well, it's okay, but it didn't really do it for me. <laughs> While I was watching this, in the few microseconds that I had spare from just being gripped by what was going on, I was trying to think, what is different about this film? Because it's got the same score, Alan Silvestri, kind of standard mm -hmm. Marvel stuff. I mean, it's very well done. It's got the same characters. I mean, it's got all of them. I think 64 major characters. It's got a bit of banter. It's got some CGI fights and that. But somehow it all works on this one. And the scale of the storytelling... phenomenal. Incredible, yeah. um, huh? Hannah and I were in the screening... And as you said, it's two and a half hours long. It moves at an incredible pace. I was absolutely amazed by the beginning because, you know, you with every superhero movie, you have that like 15, 20 minutes where they're just explaining to you what's going to happen. This, no, straight away. There's maybe five minutes of exposition in the whole thing. The rest of it is like, okay, you've been waiting 10 years for this. We're just going to get into it. Yeah. And I think Marvel, for all their faults, have this real trust of their audience to commit and they feel very committed to this film and all the performances work so coherently because these are people that have been playing these characters. Robert Downey Jr.'s case, he's been playing this character 10 years. He has such understanding of where Tony Stark is at in the Marvel narrative. And even people like uh, Chadwick Boseman, who's only been in this franchise 
you know, a couple of years now, understands his character. Though I will say, there's not as much screen time for some characters as I would have liked. Mm. But we do have another film coming that might solve that problem. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. So... Even the Guardians of the Galaxy crossover that I thought, oh my word, who let the marketing department come up with that? Even that works. And I think if there's one thing that this film has that superhero films lost a long time ago for me, it's jeopardy. It's that mm. sense of jeopardy. It's been ages since I've been gripped, since I've felt that that danger in a situation, since I've rooted when a character's made his appearance, going, here comes the cavalry. You've had that surge of excitement. Again, that's payoff. I'm going to describe this as the superhero Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. In terms of maturity and how it's it's grown up, it's mature with a with a small M. So not, I mean, it is kind of violent. There is a lot more blood. That's not a spoiler. It, there just is a lot more physical blood when people are being punched now. You can see that more. There are characters who talk about the things they've been through in the last two or three years of Marvel cinema. And you're like, wow, yeah, you did defeat an elf and save four of the seven realms. You did lose your mother in Thor 2. Oh my God, Captain America, you did have that awfully traumatic thing. And it's like they all describe the burden and the weight that they're carrying with them in this world. And this world feels really, really lived in now. And the whole thing about it was, like all the criticisms about Marvel films was, there is no payoff, there's no jeopardy, there's no effective villains. And then Kevin Feige, the guy in charge of Marvel, went, just waiting for Infinity War. Right. There is a reason why. And again, this is payoff. Like It was all about the end of Avengers was who sent Loki and then the end post credits says you see Thanos smiling. They've been planning this since 2012. Like when Thanos arrives, everything is going to go south. Has been a thing they've been telling us for 6 years and then 6 years later Thanos is arriving and you feel it in the chair when right. he walks into the room going, "Oh my god." Well, yeah, terrific performance from Josh Brolin which caught me completely by surprise when the credits rolled and I saw who'd been doing Thanos all this time. It's a slightly strange strategy for a studio to release basically about seven duff hours of movies so that you can get a really good one as, as the payoff. But that aside, what a phenomenal job by the directors, Anthony and Joe Russo, who I don't know what else they've done on the big screen, but they're responsible for one of the greatest TV shows ever. Yes, Arrested Development is my mainstay. I go back to it whenever I want to pick me up. It's Arrested Development. And the storytelling, I think you can see it across Arrested Development. You know, the first two, three seasons of that show before it went to Netflix and everything kind of got weird. They are setting things up in season one of Arrested Development that they don't come back to until season three. And I think that's why they were the perfect choice to make this film, because they have an understanding of how things fit together and how to weave narratives, which is something that... Comparing it to Justice League, uh-huh. they had no idea how to put these massive characters into a single narrative. And this film, it feels coherent. Although you do sometimes think, oh, I wish we got a bit more of this character. You can understand there's a logic to everything and it makes sense. And that comes across so beautifully. And I think they have a knack for not only combining storytelling, but comedy. I was surprised mm. at how they got the light and the dark. And there was yeah. so much darkness in this film. It's Apropos of which, did you see the blue Tobias Funky? Yes. <laughs> Did you, I didn't see him. But I knew he was there and I was looking. It, it, but anyway, he's in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's straight oh, yeah. fans. Okay. All right, then. So, um, Carl, do you want to say anything else before we throw scores? Um, Thanos demands your silence. Did sound kind of naff as a please don't spoil it. But yes, if you're, you are vaguely interested, if you've seen more than four of these films and, and you like one of, just one of these characters. So, even if you, if you like Iron Man but you don't like Captain America, or if you like the Guardians and you don't like Iron Man. You do owe it to yourself to try and watch this film as spoiler-free as yeah. possible. Because don't watch any trailers. 
Don't listen to this podcast. This Any is, of those this, it truly was. I'm yeah. a child of the 90s. So I never got that moment of leaving a cinema, finding out who Luke Skywalker's dad was, and yeah. then just dealing with that. And I thought when I left the cinema, I couldn't understand what I'd just seen. Like right. it really felt like a paradigm shift and a once in a generation type moment and a, and a proper 20, 30 years from now, there's going to be a filmmaker doing something and then they're going to be, why why'd you make films? And I, go, I left Infinity War as a teenager or as a kid and went, I want to make movies. We're not the only ones who like this film, are we, Carl? No. Um, leaving the screening, Leicester Square, Empire. Um, there's a small pub right around the corner where a lot of the film critics like to live post-screening. And you can generally tell what a big release is by what the pub sounds like. So if it's a really, really big release and it's very, very good, everyone's very happy and euphoric. If it's a really big release and it's not so good, everyone's laughing at how much money has been spent on folly. What noise were they making this time? Stunned silence. Yeah, do you know, that's exactly what happened at the end of the, the, the screening I was at. Just yeah. nobody could move or, or, or anything. I think it's definitely the bravest superhero film I've seen maybe since The Dark Knight in terms of what it does and where it goes. Hmm. Right. And the jeopardy is so real and the pain is real. And yeah. even Thanos, I yeah. wouldn't say I necessarily feel sorry for him, but like Josh Brolin Again. really knocks it out of the park. This is, this is Empire Strikes Back. This is the closest thing yeah. in a post-internet, post-social media world you will get to watching Empire Strikes Back for the first time. All right, so listeners, <laughs> avoid all spoilers. Do try and keep your expectations down as well. <laughs> Good luck with that. Wow. Carl, is, is five going to be enough of a number for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's fives across the board for me. Fives across the board. Right. Hannah? Yeah, I think it was a four for me just because you always have that trepidation with a film of this scale. And although like everyone say this is the biggest film of its type ever, but there's a sense of trepidation. Same thing I had with... Civil War and the same thing I had with Last Jedi where you're thinking like okay how can they make this work how can this all be a coherent thing Hmm. so it was a four for me in anticipation and then a five and then I'm going to say a four in retrospect just because I do have some issues with it and Uh I do still feel that kind of like nagging where are they going with this? What's going to happen next? So maybe next summer when we get Infinity War Part 2 Is that when it's coming out? Next April uh, Exactly Maybe by that time I'll I'll go back and change it to a rep five. Stand by, Marvel. We'll see. Okay, like I said, my anticipation two really wasn't expecting anything five and and five. That's probably the fanboy in me speaking, but it's great. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Last Jedi because it struck me watching this that whole element of coherent storytelling. People can enjoy Last Jedi, and plenty of people have, but that for me remains the biggest issue of that. They took a storyline and basically went, nah, I'm not interested in that. I'm going to do something quite different with these characters, which is why people, and you might not get upset by it, but I think that's why a lot of people did get upset with Last Jedi. Never mind, Solo's out soon. <laughs> I think on that note, on mm-hmm. comparing Infinity War and The Last Jedi, these are two films about failure and Infinity War is about failure. It's not a spoiler to say this is a film about failure. And the idea that these superheroes who we've watched for 10 years always saving the day might not be able to save the day, which is a really complex thing to deal with in what is a 12A kids movie. Mm. Kids movie, quotation marks. There are going to be a lot of upset children watching this film and a lot of serious conversations for parents to have with their kids. But that's no bad thing. If a film like this that is a franchise blockbuster can help us deal with real deep, dark themes, then I think that's great. And I would strongly recommend people to give Avengers a chance. (laughs) Wow. Which is something I didn't always think I'd be saying, but Indeed here we not. are. All right. 
Give us your top three superhero films then, Hannah. Oh, gosh. Um, I think Infinity War's up there now. Maybe number one. Really? What are yeah, the other two in there? I think Thor, Ragnarok and probably Black Panther, which is... Really? Yeah, that's the last three films, but I really think they are just getting better. Carl? Right, are we talking Marvel Studios or are we talking all superhero films? You can do all if you want. All superhero films of all time. <laughs> the original Christopher Reeve Superman. Really? Yep, still the best. They invented the origin story. It's got Marlon Brando. It's everything you want from okay, superhero films. Okay. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 2. Yeah, okay. Cause, Phenomenal. Because yeah. it's the moment when Spider-Man finally gets to love other people that he's been fighting Cut. for all this time. The train scene yeah. is a work of art. And you have a great villain. Yes. Yeah. Which is yep. Alfred Molina is Doc yeah. Ock. And then... The anything but harmless. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Ock. Uh, and then Black Panther is the top three. Yeah, it's funny because I didn't like... Black Panther. The three I listed are superhero films for me that transcend superhero. So I, my big thing is whenever someone says, oh, I don't like superhero films, I'm yeah. going, you, no, that's not a thing. There's no uh-huh. such thing as a superhero film. Superhero isn't a genre. It consumes genre. Right. So you can have superhero crime films, superhero action films, right, okay. superhero so, love stories. Absolutely. Ant-Man but is a superhero heist movie. Exactly. And that's certainly my top three. The first Iron Man, number one, completely brilliant. This is now in there as well. If we go beyond... The Marvel canon. I could Obviously, be here all day about. Yeah, yeah, I could, and we've, and yeah we've not even I love scratched Hellboy the surface. <laughs> hey, that's enough about comic books and things. Let's go on to some serious movie stuff after this. Beast, nothing to do with the uh, the Defenders character, by the way, is Michael Pierce's film about a troubled woman on the island of Jersey who's oppressed by her controlling family but finds herself torn between her loyalty to them and an enigmatic and secretive outsider who may be caught up in some trouble. Here is the moment the mole, played by Jessie Buckley, begins to confront her family. I'd like to make a toast. To my family. For everything you've done for me, I forgive you. Get out! Drama. Here's Joe, who's already seen it. In fact, he saw it at the London Film Festival, and he's got in touch to say, it's very rare that I see a film in which a single performance completely blows me away, but that is what Jessie Buckley managed to do in this film. I think she was beyond brilliant. Hannah. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I think I was surprised. I went into this not knowing anything about the film and she is magnificent in it. It is a film that totally hinges on your ability to invest in her as a character and her as an actress. And for so much of the film, she is on screen alone or it's just her and uh, Johnny Flynn who plays Pascal, her boyfriend. Is he any relation to, you know, Errol Flynn? (laughs) No, I ask because he's got very much that hair. He's trying, isn't he? Yeah. He's a sort of folk musician by trade. um, If you listeners have ever watched Scrotal Recall on Netflix, now rebranded as Lovesick. Which you should. It's a lovely show. He is known best for that. And Jessie Buckley made her name originally on way way back in the day. It was on I'd Do Anything, the uh, Mm. talent show to find a Nancy for the West End. Oh, really? Yes, yes. But she didn't get the part? She came runner-up. And she's now gone on to do this magnificent film so it's all worked out fine for her to fill people in a little bit there is a serial killer on the loose 
she's attracted to this guy, the police are attracted to this guy for different <laughs> reasons. And it's a serial killer movie in which the whole serial killing business, Carl, is largely off screen. It's actually more, I would say, a, a kind of character study, this this film, which just happens to feature a, a psychopath somewhere in it. But <laughs> we don't see very much of that. Hannah's saying that you have to invest in Mole to appreciate this film, Carl. Were you able to? Yes, this all hinges on Mole. And it's not really a film about the serial killer. It's a film about the deconstruction of Mole's character. And I think right. it, one really tiny bit I enjoyed is the fact that Molly's hair slowly degrades <laughs> as the film progresses. So when you first see her, she's very prim and proper. Her hair is really done up in a very nice bun. And then slowly depending on who she's talking to or depending what scene it's in, her hair gets wilder, more unrestrained, and eventually just becomes a mess. Right. And I think that's a really good indicator of what this film is. It's about someone who has been under the thumb of an iron matriarch meeting a bit of danger boy and then promptly losing it. Yeah. Interesting. So Mother from Hell is Geraldine James. Mm -hmm. And... There is a serial killer on the loose. We see very little of that. We see very little of the investigation. Police pop up every now and then. But it's it's essentially a study of one woman's attempts to Unraveling. try and to unravel, but also to break free, mm. which I guess is largely the same process, to actually finally express herself, to kind of shake off the, the, the very restrictive persona which her family had, had allowed her to have. A kind of sense of awakening, I suppose. And it's interesting because the dreams are some of the most interesting bits of this film. There are a number of dream sequences that you don't realise are dream sequences until after the fact. And they're all incredibly distressing and hinting at things. I had problems with this film. Mm -hmm. It's either 15 minutes too long or it's 15 minutes too short. <laughs> so Hannah's written a lovely review about this on the Wild Eyes website. And you commented about how the ending's just a little bit too clean cut. Yeah, I think the ending is the only real issue I have with this film. The whole thing sort of gets tied up with a bow in the last, yeah, last 50 minutes. Mm. And for me, when you've invested so heavily in this character who has this very, like, um, there's a lot of shadow in her story and then it all tries to tidy it up. And it would have been more compelling to me if they'd left it messy. Yes. There's a film called Raw, which I absolutely loved, which came out last year, which also features a similarly distressed young female protagonist. But um, that, to me, worked completely because there was a sense of where this girl is going to go next. Whereas in Beast, you're kind of like, oh, OK, well, I guess I kind of know where she's going to go, but I'm not very happy about it. I feel like it would have been more mm. interesting to end mm. it earlier. Make okay. it more ambiguous. Or give me so much more exposition. Okay. <laughs> Hannah, I've seen your scores online yeah. at littlewhitelies.com and, and they're good, that you know, the ending notwithstanding. Yeah. Carl, where would you stand numerically speaking on this film? Um two on anticipation. The poster looks very nice on the London on the ground. The film itself is Somewhere in between a three and a four, and I think I'm going to be really harsh and give it a three. Uh, would you, if somebody said, "Should I go and see Beast?" What, what would you say? Yeah, probably. You'd probably enjoy it. A lot, like a lot of the things work well, but there are things you've seen before. Uh huh. So this is a young woman who grew up in a family that's far too strict. You've seen that before. This is a young woman who is overlooked by her richer, more talented sibling. You've seen that before. This is a young woman who meets a reckless boy and then starts acting differently. You've seen that before. And the the enjoyment is meant to be in how. That's meant to play out differently here. And then the ending, it doesn't really. So I'll, I'll give it a, a three, because while, yeah. while I was enjoying it, I was like, oh, is that it? Right. <laughs> Hannah, remind me, what, what were your numbers on this? 
three in anticipation, four and four. Okay. I think it's, nice. yeah, it works for me. And it's, it's really refreshing to have a female protagonist who is quite messy in this way and not in an exaggerated way. She feels very real and very vulnerable. And the vulnerability of Moll combined with the beastly nature of her at the same time is interesting to me. Mm. So Pascal isn't that messy to me, which is one thing I really had problems with. Like this is all about Jesse's performance as Moll. Uh-huh. You were saying Johnny Flynn as Pascal? No, doesn't do it for me. Does he not? No, just looks like he hasn't had a shower. There's a bit where someone comments, you always wanted a bit of rough. I'm going, that's your bit of rough, really. He's quite pretty. On Jersey, I suppose. You know. Yeah, he's, Jersey as yeah. an island has a very strange reputation. And, and this comes across a little bit in the film as a bit of a xenophobic, weird mm. place where life has been the same for many, many years and there's a real reluctance to change and a way of life that has always been the way it is. So for it, in that context, I guess you'd be like, well, I, can, I guess I can see how this guy would be like an outsider. Well, he, he smells... And he does menial work and he poaches. So I suppose from that point of view, and he's rude to people as well, which is very refreshing, I thought, in the, <laughs> in the context of the film, and particularly the family environment that Maul grows up. But there's a dinner scene in which he's, you know, he's, he's a very welcome addition to the table. Personally, I would say that I really like what this film was trying to do, but it is a brave decision. You, I think Hannah, as you say, depends on how interesting we find Maul and her reaction to what's going on around her. And I, I didn't invest in it in the end. I liked the poster. I thought the poster looks nice and gothic and dark. And just, it didn't have, probably I'm a bit superficial, it didn't have quite the the ride, the twists that I thought I was going to get. Yeah, it needed... I so didn't there find a, her that likeable. You're not meant to, which yeah. is fine. Uh, there's a little bit right near the end. There are two people having dinner and the character motivations are being revealed. And the big question is asked, and you can hear a kettle hiss in the back. I'm going, ooh, you're not going to hear what the answer is. The kettle hissing is going to overload it. Right. And then, no, the kettle hisses, you hear what the person says, and it moves on. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a good scene. Yeah. If you've been a bit braver. You'd want a bit more mystery in your film. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Or just a little bit more exposition. All right, then. Okay. Well, a decent enough film, but a little bit flat for me, but hey. If you're not into superhero films, this is well worth your time. And if you're not into superhero films and you want to go to the cinema, it's a good option this week. What other options are there this week? Not many. No no one really wants to get trampled by Thanos today. There is a good film out called The Wound as well, which is, um, I believe it was brought up actually by a listener when we watched Black Panther. It's a film about a young man in South Africa coming of age and the sort of tribulations around that, particularly with regards to homosexuality in South African culture. And that is meant to be amazing. I've not seen it, but I think we gave it quite a positive review in Little White Lies. So again, if you don't fancy Beast and you don't fancy Thanos, then Mm. there are smaller projects out there that I'm sure would be very grateful of your money. There you go. There you go. Or Seals 3. Now, let's move on to this week's Film Club. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Film Club this week is the first Marvel Studios film. I thought Iron Man no, was. No, no. Maybe what I should have said, it was the first film in the MCU. Yes. Yeah. Whereas Hulk has been chosen this week because it was the first Marvel Studios film. Is no. that right? No. no. Uh, what you're going to get very quickly is a quick potty history of stuff, and it kind of involves Donald Trump and the 90s comic book crash, so I'm going to keep this as quickly as possible. So Marvel goes bankrupt in the 90s. There's a massive bubble crash. Marvel keeps afloat by selling off a lot of their properties. So they sell the film rights to Spider-Man, to Sony. They sell the film rights to X-Men, to 20th Century Fox. They sell the film rights to The Incredible Hulk, to Universal. Mm. This is why you can find Hulk at Universal Studios theme park in Orlando. So they're all making all their films. Then you get Iron Man, which is the first MCU film that is made. That goes out, I believe, under Buena Vista Studios as a production company in 2007. Then it works but the MCU seems to be getting praised then you get Marvel Studios and then Iron Man retroactively becomes the first film in the of Marvel Studios and the MCU when the production company changes hands okay so you have how does Donald Trump fit into all this uh, he also has a role in the 90s comic book crash and may may not have helped like Marvel go bankrupt in the 90s so there you go thanks that, Trump <laughs> that's a quick potted history and that's why uh, so how does Ang Lee's Hulk fit into all this Ang then? Lee's Hulk is a film using a Marvel property made by Universal Pictures so uh-huh. it's not part of the MCU right it's just a film with a Marvel character in so the interesting thing about this is much later on in 2008 or 9 you get the first Hulk film of the MCU which is the Ed Norton film yeah 2009 which yes. was Interesting because Ed Norton had been a big champion of Hulk and had wanted to make Hulk originally, but he read the script and didn't like it very much. Right. So he said no, thank you. As did um, I think quite a few actors yeah, said a bunch no, thank of people you. People turned this one down. Billy Crudup, that was Angley's first choice. Tom Cruise was offered the role. Steve Buscemi, which would have been interesting, a, a wonderful film. Johnny Depp. <laughs> Apparently, perhaps I think even before Ang Lee was first attached, was in the frame to play Bruce Banner, David Duchovny and Jeff Goldblum. See, I can see where they were going with Duchovny and uh-huh. Billy Crudup, I think probably would have Is been it Duchovny? interesting. Sorry, I, I, uh, I only know that because of the song called Why Won't You Love Me, David Duchovny. Ah. It's a great song. <laughs> Go and revisit that if you've never heard of it. But um, yeah, I can totally see David Duchovny, his uh-huh. whole, I mean, Mulder's kind of a little Bruce Banner, so I can see yeah. that. And I can see, I, Jeff Goldblum would have been great. But Fantastic. now, he, after seeing Thor Ragnarok, he is just the grandmaster to me. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. 
Okay. So this was a direction for Universal with Hulk. Uh, how did listeners feel about it, looking back? Not great. We thought that they would probably not feel great about this film. I we liked had, it at uh, the time. Were people not... Well, I think it was it was widely sort of considered a failure. It was very expensive and very different to, I think, what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Right. Especially, and this was just after Spider-Man, I think. I yeah. think so everyone had seen Spider-Man and been like, look how fun this movie is. And then Hulk comes along and it's like very serious Shakespearean tragedy. Or and Greek even, no? I mean, yeah, that was his Greek. big thing. That was, this was Ang Lee's thing. He wanted it to be like a Greek tragedy, which is why I think Eric Banner and Jennifer Connelly were interested because they thought it was going to be this great like character study and very about... Um, Who's the guy in Greek mythology who has the bad relationship with his father? Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Oedipus. There's, yeah. there's like Oedipus overtones, and in fact, let me go through some of the reader comments. Yeah, let's before let's I start talking about my favourite thing about this yeah. film, okay. Shane Morgan on Twitter, Mr. Shane Morgan, who said, "Dreadful, ponderous, pretentious." Ang Lee said he was treating it as a Greek tragedy. It was certainly tragic, and Banner was a dreadful choice. Ruffalo deserves his own film. He's even got the right name, Eric Banner. Yeah, yeah, yeah Banner, you know. Huh? We had another comment from Al Cook, who was more positive about it. He said, an underrated curiosity, watched it recently and it still stands up, but it's let down by the fact it turns into an off-Broadway play at the end. Oh, Carl. Ian Schultz calls it a very interesting failure, which I pretty much agree with. Uh, Chris Reddy calls it effing great, especially the depiction of the Hulk as the most powerful toddler on the planet. <laughs> Uh, and Daniel Fletcher says, I think Ang Lee's Hulk went over the heads of most mainstream popcorn mulching moviegoers. I think that's a bit critical on most moviegoers. It's underrated and a lot better than some of the current trash out there. My main thoughts about this one is it just came out the wrong time. It really came out the wrong time. Too late or too early? Both, really. Okay. So you have this weird spell in the late 90s, early 2000s where superhero films are popular again, thanks to Blade and X-Men. But then we haven't figured out what to do with them yet. So we haven't got the MCU. We haven't got this whole, we're going to tell five films in a row and you're going to watch them like TV episodes. So if you made this Hulk film now in the MCU as a, we're going to do a weird Greek tragedy character study with Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, I think audiences... I think people would be down for that now. Would be really receptive to that because yeah. Marvel have earned the goodwill of people and going, yeah, we've earned the right to go really, really weird. If they had done this maybe five years earlier before Spider-Man comes out, like, okay. this is a really weird character study in The Incredible Hulk. I think audiences would have been quite receptive to that as well. But it comes out in 2003 in this weird, we haven't quite got Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and we haven't quite figured out what on earth we're doing with superhero films. So Ang Lee's come along, I'm just going to do this. Have fun with that. I was 12 when I watched this with my dad and my younger brother. I was like, what is this? What are all these themes? And I've watched it again now. I'm like, oh, it's all about your dad, like many great movies. Well, yes. And Bruce Banner, his, his arc as the Incredible Hulk is a lot about his father. So in some ways, it's very true to mm. Bruce Banner, the character. And I think Eric Banner, bless him, is, is kind of getting He's... across that soulfulness. People have been quite harsh on Eric Banner. I but... like Eric Banner. Eric Banner tries hard. I'd say that in every film Eric Banner's in. You can see the cogs turning when he's acting. Really? In the re in the nicest way. Oh, I don't know okay. if he... I loved him in Chopper yeah. and in uh, Funny People, which is an underrated he's film. A, again, but you can very clearly see the cogs turning. Oh, okay. And I don't know if he's doing that deliberately or if he just is very clearly thinking about how he acts. Yeah. But that really works in a film that is all about a man who has to think loads about his impact on the world. 
So the the teenage appeal of the Incredible Hulk is that you get really really angry, you turn green, and then you punch that thing that made you angry, mm. and that's the juvenile approach to it. And that's like the initial. Oh, was, wouldn't that be fun? And then you get a bit older, you get a bit wiser, and especially for men, you realize getting angry and punching something is not the best way to deal with problems. You need yeah, to business. stay calm. You need to talk to people. You need to have a rational approach to stuff. You need to talk to your partner, which is why the whole film and its relationship with Jennifer Connelly mm. and Betty is really interesting because mm. at no point in time, eventually you go from, I wish I could turn into Hulk to going, it's quite annoying that if I get angry, I can't control this rage. Which is what we see, of course, now with Mark Ruffalo's character. Mm. And especially as what I think is great to Mark Ruffalo's credit is he is playing a smaller role within a huge universe. He doesn't have his own standalone film to rely on. So he's having to get all his plot and all his character into like tiny scenes. And we were lucky in Thor Ragnarok that we did kind of get a bit more like of mainly the Hulk trying to kind of reconcile Hulk with Bruce Banner, which is what this whole film is, is him trying yeah. to come to terms with who he is. There's a good comment here from Joe Sullivan, which is, uh, I feel the need to share my thoughts as I've never really understood the quite dismissive and jeery attitude that seems to have grown and multiplied like a nasty rumour around this film. And he does say that the handling of the villain of the piece and the climax where he absorbs too much energy and exactly the kind of end you would find in the comic books, true, very, very Marvel ending, is so much better than what we have seen in the recent run of Avengers movies. It has the beginnings of something very interesting. So this whole thing is all about how... Bruce Banner is not necessarily the Hulk because of the fact that he absorbed all that radiation, but because of some a, a even deeper family trauma. Right. Mm. Which is one thing I was very confused about when I watched this as a kid, because this film is really violent. Like, you should be a 15. It touches on domestic abuse and, and toxic masculinity before that was a thing in popular culture as a term. And just like, it's so dark and so grim. And you watch it again now and you understand now what it's trying to do. And I hope histories will be kinder to it further on I count this as canon as opposed to Edward Norton's one because Edward yeah. Norton's one is just strictly he got mad and punched stuff whereas this one is trying to say something yeah there Expert. is a, a great thing that has not aged well about this film and it was very distracting for me particularly in the opening sort of half an hour I didn't do as much later the transitions that Ang Lee is using between scenes are absolutely appalling like PowerPoint <laughs> like star crossfades and things and I was like oh was this ever acceptable did uh, as a collective, hmm. did we watch this and go, yeah, totally fine? What was the thing then you, you said you really liked about this film that we didn't quite get onto earlier? Was there something or did I dream No, that? God, no. no. <laughs> okay. it, it's it's did fine. Did we dream it? Yeah, but, no, Star Wipes. You know. Star Wipes. Star Wipes. So, there always, there's always a place for a Star Wipe. No. It reminds, if I can get away with that as a child in my ICT classes, then I'm going <laughs> shouldn't have been paid $100 million to do it. Like. All right. Well, listen, thanks for all your comments about that. One other missive which we should make a reference to I'm just trying to find oh Alex who sent Alex my word you've sent us a couple of pages worth here <laughs> but it, and ironically it's about the use of too many words he was picking up on what I'd said about the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society and how I always felt wary of a film with too many words in the title like they're trying to sound clever or whimsical and he suspects that that's exactly what the marketing department are up to but he does make the point that there have been plenty of other films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, The Killing of a Secret Deer, or The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which, you know, very enjoyable films. I mean, that last one's possibly a, a, a little bit taking itself it's seriously. It's a long one. It's a long oh, one. Oh, I love The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Did you? I, yeah. I think those are great picks that he's chosen as well, because those three titles are so important to the film, I think. Killing of a Sacred Deer, particularly, when I 
first heard that was going to be the title, I was like, hmm, what, what, what is yeah. Yorgos up to? But having totally seen the sense. film, you're like, of course, this makes yeah. perfect sense. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is brilliant as well. There's nothing yeah. superfluous in there. Yeah, I think they are very different to the Guernsey literary page. Guernsey. I which... will point out there was Tom Cruise film, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the better recent Tom Cruise films. It's essentially fight space aliens mixed with Groundhog Day. Mm. <laughs> Completely bombs at box office, only makes 230 million. And you think um, the title? I don't think the title. Warner Brothers said the title. So when it comes out on DVD, it's no longer called Edge of Tomorrow. It's called Live, Die, Repeat. So, so which was the tagline on the poster? Yeah. Which was the tagline on the poster? So the people at Warner Brothers believing that the title Edge of Tomorrow was too esoteric or whatnot said, "Let's just go with the tagline <laughs> Live, Die, Repeat," which is pretty much the entire Edge of Tomorrow. It could be a Todd Haynes yeah. flick or something, or a YouTube album. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> or something great like that. The Edge yeah. of Tomorrow. Yeah. I think yeah. I think titles are very important. No, you're right. I think, and also he's flagged You Never Really Hear as a great title, which mm. I think I think it definitely is. And Jaws, how good is Jaws? That's one word. And that's that's a Brit, an alien and predator. These are one word titles. You I, can I do it. I think it's less how many words. When you read that, do you understand what this film is going to be about? Yeah. Or does it make you wonder what this film is going to be about in the case of, for example, Killing of a Sacred Deer? Or does it just annoy you like the Gersey does with me and yeah. make me not in want to In which case film? it was actually pretty much spot on for what the film is going to be about. <laughs> but hey, that's just me. All right. Well, so now what are we doing next week? Next I'm not week, here, for example. Yes, the lovely Michael Leader will be sitting in uh-huh. and discussing Tully and Mary and the Witch's Flower. Okay, nice. Uh, with, I believe, David Jenkins and Manuela Lazic. And... The film club for next week is Jonathan Demme's Something Wild. Ooh. Unbelievably, it's a year since he passed. And oh yeah, we've chosen to revisit one of his sort of best films as a bit of a pay our respects. Mm. So do go away and watch it. And I've never seen it, so I'm excited to watch it and see where it takes me. Something wrong, Charlie? Maybe it's not such a good idea, you know, getting a room. I mean, don't you have some place we could go? How about your place? <laughs> I can just see the neighbors watching you get out of the car. <laughs> you have money? I mean, for the room. The rest is free. Well, uh, let me, let me check. Uh, well, no, I only got these, you know, these credit cards, which are, you know, company plastic. Our accountant would sure wonder what I was doing in a cheap motel in the middle of Jersey on a Friday afternoon. Here's <laughs> the cash. The, no, I, no, I can't use that. Why? That's money for the Christmas club. Charlie, are you telling me that we're not going to get a room because you're saving money for Christmas presents in the middle of June? Very nice. Very nice. And maybe let us know your favourite Jonathan Dem films as well, because everyone's got one. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Carl, what are you going to be doing cinema-wise? Of course, you've got your wrestling uh, podcast I do indeed. Parts Unknown. Yes. That's a great title, isn't it? Yes. Well, yeah. Parts Unknown is if you're a wrestler of a supernatural origin, you were hailing from Parts Unknown, weighing oh, 235 right? pounds. Oh, wow. It's so-and-so. So some of them actually do have supernatural backgrounds. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, plenty. Really? Plenty, plenty, plenty. Okay. Interesting. I look forward to discovering more <laughs> on said show. And Hannah, your uh, output is uh, very... Uh, easily findable via the uh, Little White Lies website. Yeah, if you've seen Avengers, you can now read my review of Avengers and tweet me if you don't like it. Okay. Or if you do like it. 
Nice one. Nice one. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, I, I'm heading off. I'll be back in a week or two. Uh, so do enjoy yourselves at the movies in the meantime, listeners. And thanks for being with us today, Hannah and Carl. Uh, this has been a Seven Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.